Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. It is a pure joy to be together in the house of all of each of you this morning. And to our growing online family, I bring you greetings from all of us here inside of America's most beautiful and functional auditorium. We are so glad to be here. Wish you could be with us. Those of you that might be watching online, I know Elizabeth, uh, love you. We all love you. Grateful that now you look a little bit more like your dad. And, uh, Today, our hearts and prayers, especially for many of our loved ones, Joel and Moyen, if you have to be watching, and have to be miracle or live streaming. In fact, Musk uh, got all of those uh, Starlink together so that all of Ukraine can be covered. But, uh, if you're watching, please know that your loved ones here in America are standing with you. We have friends there. Olga, Dr. Boyka, and others, we love you, we support you, we're praying for you, we're so sorry what's going on in your country right now, but we are proud of the Ukrainian people standing up for righteousness. We love you. Let's go to the book of Matthew, please, this morning's sermon on the mountain. This is our 11th message on this. We're going on it a bit longer, for sure. We're just going through at a comfortable pace. A pace that I think will give a good sense of understanding Scripture. So this morning, our theme is to commit ourselves to the permanent of the sacred institution. For several years now, the unthinkable has happened. By thousands of hours of study, tens of millions of the finest materials available, San Francisco's infamous Millennium Tower, a luxury condominium where star athletes and millionaire high-tech employees have bought into is sinking and it is tilting to the side by about three inches a year. Back now, it is almost 24 inches off center. It is literally the modern-day leaning tower of people. Now, why is that? Well, they actually know exactly why. Because it is literally built on garbage. Those of you who know the history of the area of San Francisco know that that area there was a landfill 150 or so years ago. They were quite aware of that when they built it, but 
apparently they didn't sink enough of those piles deep enough into the bedroom. So, we can actually say that building is built on God. Today, we have so many lives and so many families that are built the same way in America. We are living in a time of national tragedy. And the calamity is that homes are built on the garbage of godless philosophy and selfish humanity. Today we live in a day of throwaway marriages, walkout moms and dads, Hollywood morals, Kardashian-style families. People today are devaluing and discarding their husbands and their wives like spent water leaving a string of confused, heartbroken, and devastated mates and children in their lives. Truth of the matter is, San Francisco's Millennium Tower is not the only structure that has been built on garbage. Our public schools make available. In fact, even it is a law that they are to provide little four- and five-year-old children such perverse literature as My Two Dead, which portrays same-sex marriage as perfectly normal. They are breaking up and discarding the divine institution of marriage. It is now becoming the American way, and my friend, it is sadly built, just like that tower, on garbage. All the hurt and the headache that comes from not obeying the word of God. Today, Jesus is going to teach us how important it is to, to get behind the wonderful institution of marriage. Marriage is the key. I asked Pauline, I said, honey, I'm old, will you love me? I'm old and unattractive. She said, of course, I do. And <laughs> marriage is for keeps, and I'm thankful. It's been said a strong marriage doesn't always have two strong people at the same time. It's a husband or a wife to take turns sometimes being strong for each other with the other feels So today, from the lips of our heavenly room, commit yourself to the permanence of a strong and a sacred. So this morning, the bow for prayer. Let's ask God to be with us all. I'm going to ask you to have spiritual ears, because, of course, the topic, that of divorce and remarriage, is one that is quite a hot button for many people. Pray with me if you would, and then protect me as I leave the All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be together and love these people all of us. For those that are watching online, Lord, would you just reach through the airwaves? Given your special grace and mercy. Lord, I know that there are three, those that are hearing this, ones whose hearts are broken, they've lost a husband's wife, others who made the sick, parents. We just pray for those who are troubled or are worried about what's going on in the world. God, would you just, in the midst of all of it, just send life to us. Give us your special grace. Jesus is speaking on the side of a mountain. 
Galilee. This particular passage in Matthew, also in Luke, is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Because it was preached there in Galilean foothills, far from the Sea of Galilee, it was a beautiful, likely spring day, not unlike uh, Southern California type climate. So that they were sitting there. Perhaps as they were sitting there, the, the wisp of the, the wind was coming through. They could see the beautiful little poppies that grew in that area, sometimes known as the lilies of the valley. There they were, listening to this very unusual rabbi. They called the teacher there. He was saying things that seemed so different from what the others were saying. He even looked at they were dressed in all of the pharisaical get-ups. Here he was, just a man with sandals, just common every day. He was speaking to them about something called kingdom living. He said, if you're going to live like God, you're going to have to decide that you're going to live with this different set of rules. These rules are biblical rules, and they are amazing. He said, you need to have... Uh, and of hope and love and mercy. And he goes down this wonderful list. And then when that happens, you're going to have people that are going to come against you, but that's all right. You're going to get through that. He said, just keep holding on to the Word of God. So there he is. Topics in this one sermon kind of go everywhere. And I have often thought, it's to me just an amazing. He's just a, a great group of topics that he puts in one sermon. It's the greatest single service preached in one setting by anyone. Of course, you would imagine that being our thing. And it says he spoke aloud. He was not afraid to say it. Now, I'm so glad that our Savior wasn't just stuck up there in the middle of nowhere talking about lofty theological ideals. No. He gets down to the nitty gritty. In fact, I'm talking, he gets right down to where everybody lives. We saw last week he talks about adulting. He said, folks, it was God's thought. Now this morning, he transitions to something that we know was a problem then and it's a problem now. And that is the disintegration of the family. He called out adultery. He said, it is wrong. And the popular concept, the popular religious justification for it is wrong. And it's such a narrow slice that basically... Anything anybody does is not adultery in your eyes, but he said that is not healthy and it is certainly not holy. So this morning, he's going to take the matter even further. Actually, verses 31 and 32 are pretty much a continuation and a finishing of this particular topic. I thought to myself as I was going through these passages, I was thinking, now, typically, an evangelist wouldn't get up and talk about Adultery, fornication, divorce. I mean, I don't know of any evangelist that would get up and do that today. Yet, uh, Jesus said, This is destroying family. So we need to talk about it. He loved people enough to tell them how this needs to be taken to. All right, let's go to chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. Let's read it together. All right, we have the King James Version here. You're welcome following your own, but we're going to read publicly out of that. All right, ready to begin. Let's read it together. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, 
let him give her a variety of the horses. I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. Whosoever shall marry her, that is divorce, committeth adultery. Now in these two short but very small verses, there are three important truths about mankind's oldest and most precious institution, marriage. First of all, the excellence of marriage. The excellence. As a foundation for understanding divorce, remarriage, what breaks it, he clarifies the God-ordained Bible plan two people, meaning one biological man, one biological woman, promising to have and to hold to one lifetime. That's what it says in verse number 31. It has been said. It has been said. Now remember, our Lord is just going after these fake religions. He doesn't pull any bunches. He said, if you follow what they're saying, you are going to destroy your marriage. You are going to mess it up. It has been said. He said the popular religious opinion, the popular concept in our country right now, he said, it has been said. Now, he, this is not meaning the old the Bible way is wrong. Jesus wasn't saying, I'm going to add to the Bible. He wasn't saying, I'm changing the Bible. In fact, he already just said it. He mentioned earlier, I've come to fulfill the law, not in any way take away from He's just saying that what's going on is garbage. He said, it is resulting in Alicat more. Now, at this point, I think it's some companion passage, a time when Jesus spoke another sermon, would be helpful. Let's go to Matthew 19, because there's a little more full explanation of Matthew 5. Matthew 19, the Lord is in the thick of his grief with powerful earthly ministry. He's been in the foothills of Galilee. He's heading for the fair coastal region of Judea. On the way, he's preaching the Word of God. He's teaching God's ways. He's ministering to people. just being a blessing. But in so doing, being but true, he was causing trouble for the religionists of the day. Because their false, unscriptural establishment, he was putting them sort of in an uncomfortable situation. They had been teaching something way different. They had gotten so unbiblical that Jesus getting biblical was causing some trouble for them. It was discrediting them. It was causing them to lose faith and power. That matters typically money. And so they didn't like that. Here they corner Jesus. Matthew chapter 19, they corner him they begin to talk to him. Look what it says, verse 3. The Pharisees came to him with his fake religion, tempting him. And they, they had no good intentions. They said unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for anything? And he answered and said unto them, like a man, he said, Have you not read the word of God, gentlemen? He which made them at the beginning made them 
male and female. By the way, at this point, maybe I will interject, there is no such thing as is popular to say today, I identify as this or that. The Bible is crystal clear. It's a he or a her, a him or a she. There's no such thing as a shim, I will tell you for sure, unless you put it in a door. Always remember, just because somebody says something doesn't make it so. I've noticed of late my pants have been shrinking around the waist of it. Sit in the closet and they shrink. But it's okay because now I identify as skinny. <laughs> but anyway, all right. Verse number five. And said, for this cause, shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. And they claim to them to now be one flesh. Therefore, they are no more twain but one flesh. But therefore, God has joined together. Let not man put asunder. That very famous statement, scriptures, every Bible preacher says at the end of a marriage, they say unto him, Why then did Moses give a command or a writing of divorcement to put her away? Well, let me give you some context to this entire teaching. By the way, Jesus' statement of the Pharisees was partially correct. Moses did clarify some things about marriage and divorce. We'll leave that for another time. But because what we're talking about today, we'll cover that. Jesus, when he talks about putting away divorce, he is not being unmerciful to say that he shouldn't do it. He's not being archaic or or whatever the liberals would like to throw at him because he doesn't love especially women or people who are in a bad way. No, exactly the opposite. These corrupt people, these fake religion, Judaistic, mostly men, sad to say, were disposing of their wives like used wives. For any reason whatsoever, it was devastating to the poor little precious lady. It was destroying these children. They were growing up starving for love and fatting of starving. They felt like trash. Jesus looked at this group and said, this has got to stop, and it's got to stop now. Not only were they doing that, then they were blaming it on God. They were saying, this is perfectly spiritual. In fact, God said we can do this. Jesus said, you guys are so off base. He said, this is terrible. These children, these husbands and wives are being thrown away. And then, so he says, and by the way, these disciples, these Pharisees were saying, well, why then did Moses say this? You need to know that at this time there were different schools of thought. Have you done any study about the life of Christ? Particular Jewish schools of thought in non-biblical Judaism. You know that the Gamaliel, which one of those Paul talked about, Halal was also another one. H-I-L-L-E-L. He was a very popular teacher. 
it was kind of a, a sect within the religious group. Example today, we might have a Calvinist. They're a Christian, but they have a different sexual viewpoint about God. That's kind of the way this was. This well-known rabbi twisted the Bible and legitimized every kind of a heinous action, especially against women. They could put away their wife, typically, at the drop of a hat. If they didn't like her cooking, she was gone. If her voice was too loud, out the door. Of course, this resulted in a huge number of divorces. You wouldn't think all those years ago there'd be such a problem as there is today, but it was huge. In fact, you may remember the story of the woman at the well. Remember Jesus said to her, you've been married how many times? Five. I mean, those crazy guys were just getting rid of her. See, someone else would marry her. I mean, it was terrible. Five husbands. It was, they were just almost like life swap. It was terrible. So these Pharisees said, do you agree with Rabbi Hillel, Mr. Rabbi Jesus? Oh, he's very smart, you know. And you're just young. What are you? Maybe 30 or something? Here's this venerable Hillel. He knows everything. Can a man put away his wife for any every cause? So then Jesus referenced this. Matthew 19, as well as in Matthew 5, the original plan, the Genesis plan, through design from real model homes. We were over the bay and we saw Frank, Frank Lloyd Wright home. My wife said, oh, those are very well known. Well, it was nice. Personally, the best designer for any home is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Jesus here was saying, if you want to model home, then you need the right designer. You need God. So he brings back and he shows them what the plan of God was. And in Matthew 19, there are three key verbs here that explain what a biblical model home was. First of all, God's excellent plan for marriage involves leaving. To leave. Let's look at Matthew 19, verse 5. And he said, This cause a man shall leave father and mother. Leave. As close as the bond is between a parent and a child. Literally blood, of course. And yet, a parent and a child, at best, will always still, no matter how close they get, they will always be two. However, Jesus said, when a husband and wife come together, they get married in a covenant, they become almost supernaturally one flesh. Our job then as parents, for almost all of us sons and daughters, is to give our sons and daughters wings so they can leave the nest, they can marry, and start family. Why? Because this is necessary for a healthy society. It just can't be good. Everyone always just hunker down and stay together. But ultimately, the reason God wants that is so that He can have seed. Now let's go back to the Old Testament and look at a very applicable passage. In fact, it is just about the most applicable passage. Let's go to the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi, by the way, his name means messenger. That's an important fact. He's a messenger from God to Israel, for that matter, to all of God's people. It includes the final message of God to people. 
what is God's last promise? What is God's last command to His people? And there's a, a little break of several hundred years, and then we have the New Testament. But look at chapter 4, verse 6. And He, when He comes, Jesus, the Messiah shall turn the hearts of the fathers to children, the heart of children to their fathers. It is exactly opposite of what the Pharisees were doing. They were turning fathers' hearts away from their children and children's hearts away from their fathers. But when Jesus comes, His job was to turn them together. So the fact is, when Jesus spoke on the Sermon on the Mount, He was doing exactly what God the Father had said the Messiah would do when He came. Notice the last part of that verse, by the way. Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. By the way, God is very serious about strong, loving families. People who break it, that's not a good thing. Now let's go back a couple of chapters in Malachi 2 and look at a situation that was terrible. Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. I'm going to make comments as we go through it, then we'll move on. Verse 13. And this ye have done again. Talking to the Jewish rabbis, the religious leaders, this was a repeat offense. This was not the first time. You're covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering anymore, nor receiveth with goodwill at the end. Here we see the original privilege of snowflakes, whining, sniveling, carrying on like victims. Because God wasn't granting their every wish. And they were, you know, hollering out and rocking back and forth. Oh, God, oh, God. And God said, you might as well stop talking because I am not answering your prayer. Why would God be so mean? Well, verse 15, And you say, Wherefore? Why aren't you answering us? Why, you wonder? It's simple. Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth. You didn't see him, but God was at your marriage ceremony. You didn't notice him, but God witnessed your marriage, he said. I watched it when you married that woman, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. You have broken your promise. Yet she is thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. He didn't say it was a contract. He said it was a blood covenant. Look up that word, that Hebrew word covenant. It means blood covenant. You're like blood brothers. You have made a cut covenant, actually, is a little Hebrew word. This is a big deal. God said, this is not some little light thing. You promised, verse 15, and did not he make one? You didn't make that marriage. I made that marriage. I sanctified you as one. Yet, had he the residue of the Spirit. Do you realize that the Holy Spirit resided in your marriage? And wherefore one? What does God want from your marriage? That he might seek a God wants children. That's the main purpose. He wanted them to be married. He wants children. He's happy and we have companionship. 
He's happy when we have fellowship. He loves it when we have children. Vibrant, godly youth. Therefore, take heed to your spirit. You better guard your marriage, the spirit of your marriage, as your highest priority. Let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. Never dishonor and disgrace your husband or wife by breaking your vow. Summary, verse 16. For the Lord, the God of Israel, says he hates putting away. That is the word for divorce. Long words. God hates divorce. Now he doesn't hate people. He just hates the practice of divorce. Then, four centuries later, we come to the time of Christ. For Christian parents, we need to know that God's plan was that they leave the home. Unless God has called some to a single life, they must leave to be married so that they can produce godly children. So, God said, my plan is to leave. I want you to leave. I'm not, of course. If they have a single calling, they're able to stay at home, leave. Number two, cleave. Look at verse 5 of chapter 19. For this cause, they shall leave father and mother and cleave to his wife. It means to glue. It means to weld. There are all kinds of ways to glue things together. There is adhesion. Two things that are dissimilar to gluing them together with substance. There is cohesion, two things that are similar in intermixing them. Then there is that which is known as mechanical bonding, and basically it is an outside force that makes the elements inseparable. That's what God is saying here. He said in the godly Christian home, there is a mechanical cohesiveness of God bonding, a God glue that He puts into the situation. That makes them cleave to one another. Now, folks, do you think this morning that people who divorce do so because they have a problem? Those people who don't get divorced don't get divorced because they don't have any problems? Folks, all couples have essentially the same problems. The difference is in the glue, in the godly cleaving. Folks, there are no problems too big for God to solve. They're just people too small to let God solve. God wants to solve our problems. Jesus said, don't pull away from your mate. Cleave to your mate. Don't pull back. Lean in. Leave, leave, and then the third is to be. Look at that verse. This man must leave, and they have to cleave, and the twain shall be one flesh. That means you are in it. You are there in that marriage for the long haul. There are no terms left on it. I'll be there. Washington Post, of course, leftist media, ran a op-ed from a Reverend Paul Rample. Paul is a minister of 44 years at the United Church of Christ. In that article, he advocated something known as a wet lease, meaning a term marriage. He felt like that it should be couples have the opportunity to be legally married for a certain amount of time, but then when the contract expires, they don't have to be married anymore unless they decide to renew it. 
And he actually recommended that thou do not say, shall death do it. He recommended that in your vows, you would say, as long as our love lasts. Folks, apparently that minister doesn't read his Bible. I could say a lot more things, but I will at least leave it at that. Because Paul's powerful illustration in Romans 7, look at it. Romans 7, verse 2. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law, and the husband bound to her, so long as they live. Here, he says that at salvation, we have been set free to the marriage to sin. We are dead to sin the day that we get married to Jesus. And so, God is pointing out that the fact is we are bound by the law till death. I will tell you this morning that binding the amount of people that have committed to be together is just amazing. As I look in this church, people married 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. We have some married 50 years in this church. I think we might even have some married 60 years. How many in here this morning? Uh, I know there's probably some that are listening, but is there any here that have been married 50 years? Could I have you stand, please? Married 50 years? Yes. Yes. Here. Praise God. Any 60 years? The Cooper? 60 years? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the Chins? Six. Oh, my goodness. Praise God. I tell you what. You talk about the President's Medal of Honor. These people ought to get the President's Medal of Honor. Not like that marriage-destroying feminist Gloria Steinem got a few years ago. No, I think we ought to give them that President's Medal of Honor. All right. The excellence of marriage. The expense of marriage. Now, number two, the expense. The little boy asked his father, Daddy, how much does it cost to get married? Father replied, I don't know, son. I'm still paying. Uh, now, that's not what I'm talking about. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5, and verse 31. We're talking about the high price of a broken man. Look at verse 32. Whosoever shall put away, that's divorce his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, cause of her to commit adultery. Easy divorce, tolerated, and even advocated by false religious leaders. Jesus said, now listen closely, he is actually a violation of the seventh of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. The problem with divorce is that 99% of the time, it will lead to adultery. If we start allowing for easy divorce, then treat one another like we're in a cattle market, just selling them off, getting somebody else. He said, the fact of the matter is, they are not going to stay things. They're not going to stay safe. And very likely, they're going to carry on, maybe not get married, or maybe they will get married. That case, like the woman at the well, just passes between one husband to another. And he said, that's nothing more than adultery. <laughs> he said, it's a high cost for that. You'll lose your peace of mind, your relationship, it shatters careers, life, and health, and finances. He said it is terrible. 
people today, frankly, they don't have much more regard for it than they did back then. Well, I don't love them anymore. Folks, loving someone is not a, no longer loving someone is not a reason for biblical divorce. Why? Because it's not love that sustains your marriage. It's marriage, or at least the covenant of marriage, that sustains your love. We grow in love because we have a commitment to stay married. Most people confuse love with emotion. They don't feel love. But that's not what love, true love, really is. Just go to 1 Corinthians 13 and you'll find what true love really is. Look what Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says, Husband, love your wife. That's a command. He didn't say, try to love Try to have that feeling. No, it just says, love them. It is a command. Verse 25 of that same chapter says, even as Christ loved the church, gave himself away. I guess the question might be, I guess you might be able to say you could divorce if Jesus was to ever divorce the church. Has Jesus ever divorced the church? No. Did his bride have some problems? Yes. The Bible's very clear. It has some spots and wrinkles. And yet, he will present it to himself without all that. If there's true love, then, blessed be God, that commitment will carry the truth. Pastor was counseling a man who was having marital trouble. He said to the man, The Bible says, Sir, you should love your wife. I do not love her anymore. Well, then, you ought to love her as your sister in the Lord. Well, I don't even think she's saved, he said. Well, then, love her as your neighbor. He said, I have no intention of being my wife's neighbor. He said, Well, then, finally, love her as your but the command is to love the excellence of marriage, the expense of marriage. Now the question that often is on everybody's mind, the exception in marriage. After you trying to put a guilt trip on us this morning, I got divorced, I got remarried, folks, in no way whatsoever. I will tell you, you will find a lot of mercy with me. I've had uh, way too many decades of serving broken people. So many heart hurts. I understand the absolute misery some people find themselves in. I am not a mean guy, but I will tell you, our God advocates for the permanence of marriage. If you have failed marriage, if your marriage is irreparably broken, or if you then remarry, maybe even a third time or a fourth time, the fact of the matter is you can't unscramble the egg. Fact is, Jesus affirmed the inalterable nature of the marriage covenant. But also, because of the weakness of people, because of the depravity of the human nature, there are circumstances where the marriage bonds will be severed. What are those circumstances? That leads us to what's known sometimes in theological circles as the exception clause. We see it here in verse 32 of chapter 5. I say unto you, here's Jesus' words himself, that whosoever shall put away his wife, meaning divorce, and husband and wife, except for the cause of fornication, caused them to commit adultery. So what would the special exception be for staying married? That would be fornication. 
What is the word fornication? Those of you who've been around church for a while know that the word fornication is the word, the basic word there is the word man, which we get our word pornography. It actually means prostitution, We're actually selling ourselves for sex. It's a very broad word. It covers so many things in that world. Anything, any sexual activity that is immoral, illicit, and sometimes unnatural, and I might add unrelenting. That's the sense of being sold in the process. It's not a, a one-time act. It is a constant, unrelenting sin. Scholars, Bible scholars say it includes prostitution, promiscuity, homosexuality, bestiality, incest, and all those kind of things. Now keep in mind, when Jesus was giving out this exclusion, he was not saying it's an obligation. It was only an option. If the spouse is guilty of those kinds of things, to be a good Christian, it doesn't mean you have to walk away from that person. Because the first goal in any kind of sin is restoration, not just throwing them away. Look what it says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if a man, if a woman be overtaken in a fall, if you're spiritual, restore. Restoration is the point. I know a case for a married man who's away on a business. He, of his own free will, used pornography in the hotel room. He only walked for a bit. He then turned off the TV, feeling terribly guilty and ashamed. When he returned home, he tried to get back into life, but he just felt so terrible he couldn't sleep. Finally, he confessed to his wife what he had done. His wife felt so violated, absolutely refused to forgive. Frankly, at that point, she just wanted him out of her life. And over the course of a few months, exactly what happened. Now, nobody that loves God, loves the Bible, loves marriages, would condone what the man did. But neither should we agree with what the wife did. Divorce is not a divine mandate. Cornea is not a broad stroke that we brush across every type of immorality and any kind of sin that we want to. Aha! You committed immorality, Cornea. You're gone. You're out of here. Divorce might be permitted under that case, but it's never commanded. Now, also a couple of clarifications I think are important. In the course of my ministry over four decades, I have seen growing challenges to the institution of marriage. I mean, it just gets crazier and crazier and crazier. And it would appear it's not going to get any easier or more comfortable. Thankfully, the Bible has everything we need for life and justice. One clarification is that of a family. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. The Apostle Paul said, uh, this might happen because you people are getting saved, you're going on for God, and this is a terrible place, and your husband, your wife may not like that. And so that's the case if the unbelieving depart, let them depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. Sometimes, unbelieving mates, or even religious mates, but perhaps lost, acting as a lost person, that is, 
choose to leave the relationship, and as such, they never come home. A believer is not under obligation to insist that they stay married. Why? Because the Bible says God has called us to peace. That certainly not very peace, but we have forced peace. Now, let me add here a little bit about one horrific condition, which is in fact a very real thing. That is the condition of abuse, whether it be physical, could even be emotional, sexual, or otherwise. Typically, unfortunately, husband is the wife. Let me just say unequivocally that this is a zero-tolerance situation. It should be an understanding up front in the marriage. Any physical abuse whatsoever, zero tolerance. You will leave, I will leave. Now, we're not talking about divorce, we're talking about a timeout. That is something that we cannot allow. The reason for that is because you're not able to talk, you're not able to work things out if you're afraid of these kinds of abuse. Now, it might even have to go further than a, just a temporary, it might have to be even a legal separation until things get worked out. Then the next clarification that everybody wonders about, and that is the right to remit. What is Jesus indicating here about the right to remit? But very clear, Jesus never advocates divorce. He does clarify, however, that there is a time when it doesn't lead to adultery. And that's what he's trying to point out here. Every other kind of time, divorce leads to adultery. There's one time that doesn't lead to adultery. Let's say you've tried every way you can to reconcile. Let's say you've tried every way you can to restore and to redeem the marriage. But your mate stubbornly refuses. After numerous attempts, and your mate is continuing in sexual sin, or they marry, excuse me, or, or they divorce and remarry, then Jesus is saying, if they remarry, or if they continue in that sexual sin, you can divorce them, and it will be possible to remarry. In that case, it would not be adultery. Now, I might say in addition, there are things today that would be considered biblically illegal, but immoral, but not especially illegal in our country. For example, same-sex marriage. There's none of the things that we're talking about here that has anything to do with same-sex That's not a marriage. That is absolutely an unbiblical and an unholy marriage. Also, polygamy would fall into that same thing. God never ordained that. He did allow it for a bit. For example, there's other things. In some Muslim countries, for example, today, all you have to say is, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you three times. If that's the case, you have divorced your wife. Folks, you know, of course, only the men get to do that in those Muslim countries. Folks, that, none of that has to do with anything that God has said. We're talking about a legitimate covenant marriage to people. Now, Paul gives additional concepts about this in this same verse. He says, that it would be right to be monogamous. It is right to have a lifelong marriage. But sadly, that doesn't always come. If that's the case, verse 15, a brother or sister is not under bondage in such case. God has called us to peace. That word bondage is the same word in Romans chapter 7, verse 2, I talked about a bit ago. It is the same word for marriage. God says, do not 
under that very covenant, if that is the case. He's talking about the breaking of a marriage bond. If the bond is broken, a person has broken that bond, you're no longer married to that individual. It is just as if the person has died, as it says in Romans chapter 7. Folks, I know there's all kinds of interpretations all over the map on this. Some will think it's a little too uh, understanding. Others will think it's a little too hard. That's uh, just between you and the Lord. That's how I interpret these verses. I will say, Jesus is saying here that, and I think 99, whatever percent of the time, I think it's very clear what we can do. I will say this, it is heartbreaking. It is serious. But you need to know that divorce is not a pardonable sin. It is not an unforgivable sin. It need not be treated as such. In no way whatsoever it is a dead end street. You say, well, I feel like I sinned when I divorced. I feel like I sinned when I remarried. Then repent. Repent. And if you've remarried, it's God's perfect will for you to stay married to that new person and to be a testimony of God's unfailing mercy. And I'll tell you this. Once a person has received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, there is no such thing as a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. God loves you no matter what. And that's exactly what Jesus said, or I should say John, given to us by Jesus, but in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all. All. And let me tell you what a church is all about. A church is not a museum, folks. It is not a showcase for perfect people. It is a hospital for sinful people. There is none here who plan to push you down because maybe you've made a mistake. Because the fact the matter is, every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has made mistakes. I believe we need to treat one another with grace and with mercy. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 8. Here was a woman who had committed adultery. In verse 11, he said to her, I do not condemn you. I do not condemn you. Now, to be clear, Jesus did not take a weak view of sin from this verse. I've heard people quote only that part, and that's true. Absolutely, there is no condemnation in the church of God. But, very clearly, now go and sin no more. He didn't say it wasn't sin. He just said go and sin no more. Yes. Most divorce is wrong. And as long as there is breath in these lungs, I'm going to be preaching what the Lord Jesus says about it. Our job as a church is to arrest darkness. I am standing up this morning for the dear, fearful children who are tired of hearing their parents argue. And I am standing up this morning for those broken-hearted wives who have to endure angry and men who ignore them. And I am standing up well-meaning husbands whose wives are emasculating them from their bitterness. And I am standing up for a nation, folks. We've got to stop this divorce. It is destructive and it is terrible. While I tell you that we are here to erect guardrails, I'm also here to say that those treacherous roads of life, sometimes people are going to go right through those guardrails. That is the case. You can count on the church of Jesus Christ 
like a bunch of EMTs being down at the bottom of the hill, ready to bind up the wounds with the grace and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're here today. We're a church to call out the sin, to raise the high standard of Scripture, clear where it should be. You are married this morning. Jesus Christ is not the head of your heart. There's very little chance of being a real loving heart. So I say to those of you that might be listening online, those of you that might be getting the rebroadcast, folks, put Jesus first in your head. If you're here today and you've been honestly considering getting a divorce, folks, please, I beg you to pause. Let us pray with you about this. If there is somebody that is out there saying, oh, I don't know, I don't think I can continue, folks, get the Word of God into that marriage. Let's get behind you. Let's see what we can do to help you on this. One, one thing I can certainly say, no longer build your marriage or your home on the garbage of this world. Like the Millennium Tower say, we're going to sink our piles down into the bedrock of the Word of God. And if this morning you were blessed with a good and beautiful marriage, never perfect, of course, but a good marriage, a biblical marriage, and my friends, you were probably just about the greatest testimony to this world of Jesus So I encourage you today to just commit yourself to getting behind that marriage, not only in yours, but in your children and your grandchildren. It's all about the word of prayer. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.